You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, we'll be looking at an incredibly moving story in Fab Facts. You can expect the expected as the story continues in The Randomizer. And we dive under the sea into the world below for part two of our chat with Kelvin Murray. Oh, I can't wait. That's all coming up in Pod 140. <laughs> Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. Pod 140. 140. 140. 140. I can't wait for 180 because then we can do a bullseye. Uh, intro, yes, can't we can we? actually do that. We must find a darts player who's a Jerry Anderson fan for the interview for Pod 180. Oh, you're spot on there. Okay. Uh, we'll right, put a call out a now. Podsterons, can you find a darts player? I don't mean somebody down the pub who would play no, darts no, no. if they were allowed down at the moment, but a no. famous darts player who's a, an Anderson fan. We would love to speak to them. Uh, email us podcast <laughs> at jerryanderson.co.uk. Now, if you're a first time listener, we yeah. don't normally put out particularly um, specific calls for uh, sportsmen no. to come on the podcast, but uh, that's a special occasion. Now, I, I'm yeah. Jamie Anderson. That over there is, uh, what's your name again? Uh, it's still Richard James. Oh, that's the one, yeah. And yeah. Uh, over there, is he playing oh. a recorder? I think he is. And yeah. he's got a lovely stovepipe hat and a sort of a, a, a frock coat and check trousers. Oh, I see what he's doing. Uh, yes. Yeah. Anyway, that's, uh, that's Chris Dale, of course. <laughs> it is yes. indeed. Chris will Looking be here later on with his randomizer, uh, yep. which, in which he chooses a random episode of a Jerry Anderson show, watches along and uh, tells you his thoughts. But also yep. coming up on this podcast are the following other sections narrated to you now by Richard James. I thought you'd never ask. Coming up a little later on, we have the second part of Jamie's interview with Scotland's Troy Tempest, yes, Kelvin that's Murray. Name. Isn't that right? <laughs> uh, we've also, of course, got some newsy news, news, news from Oof. the world of Jerry Anderson. Can't wait. We've got Chris Dale's amazing randomizer coming up a little later on. Oh. And we've got Fab Facts in a moment. And, yeah. of course, the most important part of the show you our lovely podstrons mm. have been emailing us at podcast at jerryanderson.co.uk they've been hashtagging us on twitter hashtag jerry anderson podcast tagging me richard n james him i'm jamie anderson and him over there in the stovepipe hat chris dalek and also they've been posting on our facebook group facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash podstrons phew god that's quite enough of that i think isn't it just you probably need to lie down after all that don't you yeah why have you got something in mind while i go and lie down yeah well i thought we could do um Fab facts. Oh, I really do need to lie down. Now, time for this week's Fab Facts. Fab Facts, where Richard lies down. I take a book of Fab Facts, flick through the book. Richard lethargically says Fab. I stop flicking through the book, and then I read you a Fab Fact from the page where we stop flicking. Are you ready, Richard, for your lying down lethargic Fab? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Don't strain yourself. Fab. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that. That really was one of the most lethargic <laughs> fabs we've ever had. You. I'm an uh, actor. And your your lethargic fabbing has taken us into the mid 1960s. Okay. So let me talk to you about real world inspiration. All right. 
Let me just get comfy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want another pillow? No, no, no I'm fine. Carry on. Okay. Many of the most popular Anderson episodes in the scenes were at least in part inspired by real-life events. You know this, don't you, Richard? I mean, the most yeah. obvious example is the finale of the Thunderbirds episode Trapped in the Sky and the Rescue of the Fire right. Flash by International Rescue Elevator Cars. Uh, it's the image of an aircraft unable to land due to a problem with its landing gear, stuck with Dad since his days uh, stationed at Manston Airfield during his national service. And you see the Spitfire coming into land with it, with its um, without its landing gear down. The runway controller warned the pilot that he was about to crash, and luckily he was able to accel- accelerate and circle the airfield again until he could make a successful landing. Um, ah. And that was probably the most notable Thunderbirds episode to be based on real-life events. Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't the only one. Because, of course, right. we all remember the fan favourite, that time when the giant alligators went on a rampage. No, uh, no, no, that wasn't right. right. No, not that one. <laughs> oh, you in fact, I think in a previous fan fact, we said that was uh, borrowed from, uh, was it an Avengers episode, I think? I think you're right, yes. Yeah, anyway, you'll have to scroll back and find that one. Uh, okay, that one's not true. Um, however, one of the other most popular episodes of Thunderbirds, involving an almost uh, equally unlikely event, had its roots in real life too. Right. Do you know which one? Uh, I've I shudder to think. <laughs> well, you wouldn't really want anything, would you, with these disasters going on? But no, exactly. The episode we're talking about here is Terror in New York City, which is the one where they decide to move the Empire State Building. Right. Now, I'm not saying that they moved the Empire State Building, but that scenario was actually inspired by a story that Dad saw in a newspaper. And I quote, uh-huh. I read that a large store in Japan was in in the way of a big road widening scheme but because of its huge value as a going concern it was not demolished but instead jacked up and moved inch by inch to a new site the movement of the store was so slow that customers continued to shop there throughout the operation wow gosh (laughs) that's really scary very cool at the time Oh, um, terrifying, though. I mean, building moves like that are more frequent now. In fact, there was a great video recently of, a, a, I think, a lighthouse being moved yeah. by rail. It's normally on the moved. coast, isn't it? Where, like, yeah. Sort of eroding. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. But there you go. There's a great one there. Now, the thing about Dad at Manston, I'm sure he told me that several times they'd seen belly flop landings as well, where the planes have to you know, burn off all their fuel and come in and land without landing gear. But that may be... Right. He'd been told about that by his brother Lionel during RAF training, possibly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. certainly, I've got a picture of Lionel uh, on the airfield next to a, a plane that had tipped over during landing. Right. You know, I think they put the brakes on and front-weighted. It just tipped right over and ended up upside down. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, mm. real-life aviation stories uh, and, and origins like that are the source of some of the most exciting science fiction storytelling in the Anderson universe, I think. Yeah, absolutely right. Very good. It's like that time that you joined that pyromaniac cult, Richard, and that went on to inspire The Fire Within Parts 1 and 2 on Space Precinct. Oh, honestly, I joined one pyromaniac cult... And that's all happens. I ever hear about. Yeah. I know, I know. People just won't let that go. That was like 25 years ago. <laughs> Actually, uh, I, I didn't. It wasn't me. It was Took, wasn't it? Uh, yes, I... I You've got to blame... Blame Officer Took. Yeah, fine, all right. Merrywood Vine, it's all your fault. Anyway, <laughs> if you have some other interesting references or even parallels where you know there are news stories in real life, 
around the time of an Anderson uh, story being written that you've spotted, do let us know. Podcast at jerryanderson.co.uk. We'd be interested to hear them, whether or not they are officially acknowledged with inspiring the stories. We look forward to your emails. But for now, that brings us to the end of this week's Moving Fact. Fact. <laughs> That's fantastic. Very moving. That's really thing. scary. I can't imagine what it must take. How can you lift a building with the foundations and everything? I don't understand even how you do that. Dip, dip, Let alone dip down, keep it down, scoop it up. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm no, I'm no building moving expert, but maybe we need to Are find one. Ah, There's another and interview what request. What could he be on? Yes, exactly. Uh, he or she. We'll have to work that one out. But uh, yeah, that, yeah, okay, fine. So we want a darts player for 180. Yeah, and some and sort of civil engineer. Yes, yeah, some sort of ar- yeah, architect, civil engineer for uh, yeah. something about terror in New York City. So uh, yeah. we look forward to receiving your suggestions about that. Now, it's an interesting point, though, isn't it? With the new stuff that you're producing, Jamie, the, the Firestorm and, and Terrorhawks and other things that we can't mention, are you still, as your dad did, taking uh, inspiration from real-life events that are happening around oh, us today and yes. over the last period of time? Absolutely. In fact, we were having a, a story discussion on one of the projects which has a real kind of through line back to um, events of the last couple of years. Uh, uh, okay. Not No, not that. Don't worry, we're not no. that. Good, but, good. Because I don't more, want to talk about More that, generally, the way ah. discourse goes, perhaps. That's about okay. as much of a hint as I can tell you. But yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always rooted in stuff that's real because real stuff is cool. Yeah, that's right. And I suppose we feel more connected to it when we see those stories, don't we? Because we've, you know, we've experienced something similar to it, and I suppose we can, uh, you know, relate to it a bit easier. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, it just seems possibly. feels less like science fantasy and more like science fiction when it's rooted in some sort of reality. Indeed. Uh, now, people have been getting in touch, which is a great thing because we love it when oh, people email us at podcast at jerryanderson.co.uk, don't we? Cool. We love it. Nothing finer. Uh, now, Ian Thompson, for example, says, Hi, Mr. A and Mr. J. Uh, I just wanted to say a massive thank you for the Stephen Critchlow interview on Pod 138. Oh, pleasure. Well, uh, of all the interviews that I've listened to on all the other podcasts, this is the one that I felt a great affinity with, being yeah. of a close age group to Stephen, uh, whilst driving to work, listening to him speak about his younger years, and Jamie asked asking about his TV shows that he watched uh, and his listing of all the shows that I watched, even down to Irwin Allen's Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, led me loudly to shout out that this could be me. Completely wasted because I was on my own in the car, but nonetheless, this could almost be a mirror image of myself, apart from the occupation, of course. I absolutely love the interview. Well done to whoever, I suspect, Jamie, for getting this one done. Uh, Ian goes on, as I'm not on Facebook or Twitter, could you please pass on my thanks to him and tell him, don't let anyone berate him for watching stuff from your youth. The older we get, the more nostalgic we become, especially in the trying times that we are all in currently. Many thanks for the entertainment you both bring to us weekly, and I even smile when Richard rarely mentions that TV show he was in. What was it again, says Ian? Crossroads? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I was in Crossroads. Uh, only kidding, buddy. He says, all the best and stay safe. Thunderbird 2 returning back to base, FAB. Thank you very much, Ian. That, uh, that's a good point, isn't it, about um, the older we get, the more we love watching stuff from our youth for that lovely, warm, nostalgic feeling. A big part of Jerry Anderson shows, of course, as we know, people looking back, uh, as well as those that are discovering it for the first time. Absolutely. It's all about the nostalgia. I mean, you know, there's yeah. a lot of what we do here. There's, there's stuff yeah. coming in the future, but uh, let's all enjoy what's there for the past nobody can take that away quite right now someone calling themselves jerry says uh, hello podcast purveyors i must say how much i'm enjoying the podcast and re-immersing myself in the worlds of jerry anderson at the moment i'm wading through space precinct and thoroughly enjoying myself i didn't Hmm. realize that there how many talented actors it had and richard james (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, my Jerry's always uh, fell off there. I was laughing yeah, so much. There we are. Uh, <laughs> says, I love to hear the banter with your stooge, Jamie. Thanks a lot uh, from Jerry. So that's very nice. nice. Glad you're enjoying Space Precinct. Uh, Ed Dutra has been in touch again, which is always nice to hear from Ed. Says, Hello, Jamie and Richard. Hello. Podcast 138's Fab Fact kicked some long dormant brain cells back into place. Yeah. I suddenly remembered the Mike Douglas show mentioned where Buster Crab stumped Martin Landau and Barbara Bain with his questions about force of life and the cringe moment when they couldn't answer. But be fair, 46 years on and I can't do any better. <laughs> fair enough. That is fair enough. Good I suppose, observation, yeah. that. He goes on, For many years, I felt that Force of Life was the most disappointing episode of Series 1. This was not because it was a bad episode. It was doomed to fail only because of its unfortunate placement as Episode 4 in the local broadcast order. Preceded by special effects Tour de Force, Breakaway, uh, Matter of Life and Death and Dragon's Domain, this bottle show had no spacecraft or strange new planetary environs to mm. dazzle me, other than the laser-scarred Zora with glowing eyes scene. Oh, nothing, yeah, nothing really stood out, he says. It was just also underwhelming. Oh. In the years since uh, that first viewing, I was able to see the episode in the context of the series as a whole, and I now appreciate the tense atmosphere, a wonderful weirdness of this episode, which has grown to be one of my favourites. Finally, says Ed, is it wrong that I feel bad for Chris Dale? Outside of the randomizer, it feels like he's constantly relegated to the kids' table while the grown-ups are working. <laughs> he says, I really enjoy the podcast. Over 137 episodes in and still feels as fresh as pod one. Regards, Aww. Ed. <laughs> That's very, I don't think Chris feels like that, does he? I don't think so. I mean, he's too busy yeah. over there messing around pretending to be Patrick Troughton, to be honest. But, yes, uh... he's doing a very good job. Is it? What was that? Yeah. Oh, something about his giddy aunt. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's nice, isn't it? Revisiting an episode. That's a really good point that, you know, he sort of saw it bookended by perhaps some more flashy showier episodes of space yeah. 1999 so didn't think much to it but looking back at it now in the context of the whole series as we know it uh, sees it as something else entirely different that's like I somebody like that. coming to the podcast at pod 50 or pod 100 and um you know then experiencing a standard episode rather than a special one uh, sorry are there special ones pod 100 and oh, pod 50 I, I special, oh, yeah, oh, I see what you mean. yes 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 and they what you're saying they can't all be special well they can't be Is all it? be that special <laughs> that's what I'm saying uh, Daniel Dudley got in touch to say just wondering if considering it's Supermarination's 60th birthday you and Network Distributing were going to release Blu-rays of classic shows that haven't been released yet maybe even digitally colouring in the black and white shows for a new generation to enjoy hmm thanks Daniel what do you think of that Jamie? Uh, sounds like a lovely idea but I couldn't possibly comment Oh, it's one of those, is it? Right. So do get in touch. I'll read out your emails next time. It's very easy. Podcast at jerryanderson.co.uk. And thanks for all those so far. Uh, yes. Oh, gosh. We're on to the next bit then, aren't we? If you've stopped reading well, out emails. Uh, is there a next bit? Yes, it's the Jerry Anderson News. Hooray! It is the Jerry Anderson... Uh, now, what you mean to say is, newsy news, news, news. Well, that's what I was hoping you just to join that first bit with. Anyway, uh, without further ado, let's get started with this. It's the Jerry Anderson News, and this week, well, Terrorhawks fans, as we know very well by now, there are lots of you around. If you missed out on the rather special Record Store Day release of the Terrorhawks theme and variations and audio story on... 
rather sexy orange vinyl, mm-hmm. then we've managed to get the last few over to the Jerry Anson store, and those are live to order now. Exciting. It's a really nice collectible, very limited edition worldwide, and I know lots of you wanted to get out to Record Store Day this year, or last year, I should say, but um, unfortunately, because of circumstances beyond our control, um, it was cancelled and sort of fractured into various other dates. So it's a really lovely set, great cover by Chris Thompson, and uh, the audio story features a little cameo by Dad, which is rather lovely. Wow. If you would like some bargains, don't forget that the eBay clearance store is now open. Just search for Anson Entertainment on eBay and you'll find a load of lines that are coming to an end and you can grab bargains there. Nice. Um, Oh, what's this on my news list? It looks like I can't really read it. Oh, yes. Looks like it looked like DCI Lunchbox, who sounds um, like a, a strange policeman. But in fact, um, it was Parker unboxing BCS unboxing, and um, you may have already seen it. But uh, AC did a rather lovely unboxing video of Parker. So uh, once again, if you are tempted to grab one of those, then you can see everything that's inside the box and how stunning Parker looks in the flesh or in the uh, plastic, I suppose. Oh, that sounds really good. And also, the Eagle edition of the Century 21 Tech Talk is out now on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash TV. Pop along there. And uh, may I just suggest that if you're not already subscribed to the Jerry Anson newsletter, that you do so. If you go on to the store or the main site, jerryanson.co.uk, you'll find a sign-up there. Because there is some rather exciting news coming in the next few weeks, which you won't want to uh, miss out on. Oh, yeah. I shall say no more. I think that brings us to the end of this week's Jerry Anderson News. That was the news. That was the news. I hope you don't mind me saying, Richard, but this week yeah. you're, you hmm. sounded a bit um, what? sarcastic in your responses. Are you distracted by what? something? or No, not at all. Okay. Sarcastic? Me? <laughs> Jamie? How long have we known each other? <laughs> Too long. <laughs> I think you might be right. Uh, well, in fact, it's... Um, how long is it? 26 years? Oh, well, I suppose, yeah. I suppose Te- it is. Technically. Yeah. I mean, I'm going by technical yeah. stuff. It's, it's more so recent that means, for our... Yeah. I've known you as long as I've known my wife. Yeah. That's a frightening thought. <laughs> for, for all of us, I think. Yes. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to go lie down again. <laughs> no, no. No, I won't. Before you do, can we have some more mm. messages from Potterols, perhaps? Yes, of course. Let's head on over to our Facebook group. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash podstrons is where you will find many of our listeners luxuriating in the worlds of their own making. Uh, it's very Ooh. easy to join in. Just answer a few questions and you'll be let in and you can join in too. Uh, they post memes, uh, discuss favourite episodes and so on. For example, Hugh Porter has posted, I recently watched the complete series of UFO and uh, Hugh asked, what is your favourite character and why? AC, Andrew Clements replied, uh, I always loved Freeman, the loyalty to his friend and superior is so badass Ian Riley said Sid for its uh, time it was leaps ahead and had AI it was just a great idea real computers have always been a letdown after watching the Andiverse for 50 years Good point, isn't it? Yuhan <laughs> uh, Huth has posted that moment when the podcast is so excellently timed that when you get to the spectrum is green part of the intro, the set of traffic lights you are sitting at turns green. Well, we do what we can to make your life easier, don't we? That was quite difficult to arrange, that particular one. But uh, It was, wasn't it? Yeah, we had to go through all sorts of uh, channels to get that mm. done, didn't we? I don't think we could do it again, could we? I think that's just a one-off. Alex Patrick said, I just noticed something, uh, like I usually do. Sophia Miles equals S Miles equals Smiles. Ah. 
Ah, now she, of course, was one of our very earliest interviewees in pod, what, four, five, three, uh, pod six? Pod one and two, Richard. Wow, really? Well, that's actually our first. No, because pod, if I remember correctly, it was a very long time ago. It was. It pod really one was. was a sort of intro, wasn't it? And then pod two and three was... So yes, Sophia, maybe. Good look. I, I can't even yeah, remember. Not terrible. <gasps> yeah, long time ago. Uh, Paul Hyder has posted, It's been said before, but this is such a lovely group. I've been a member since nearly the beginning, and I've not seen one nasty, sarcastic or aggressive post from any members. It's such a pleasure and privilege to belong. Good on you ah, all. Nice. Well, so, That's so what we like to hear, us, isn't yes. it? Yeah, they are a lovely bunch of people. So do pop over and join in the fun. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, of course, don't forget to subscribe to us on whichever platform you're listening to us on right now. Uh, Why don't you leave a review as soon as this podcast is over and tell the world what you think of us. And if you really like us, just copy the link and tweet it to all your social media profiles and tell your friends to have a listen to and they might well enjoy it. And if they don't, then um, they're wrong. Well, what sort of friends are they? <laughs> exactly. Really? At least it's a good friend filter because if they don't like the podcast, then you know they're not worth having around. <laughs> unfollow, unfollow, <laughs> block, block, unfollow. Uh, obviously, we don't yeah. mean that. No, 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 of course not. Uh, Richard, would you like to hear a bit more interview stuff or have you got anything else you'd like to share beforehand? Uh, no, I'd love to hear. Is this with uh, Kelvin Murray? It is. It's part two. Yes, please. Scotland's very own Troy Tempest, Kelvin Murray, talking about more all things expeditionary, undersea, oh, his fascination with space and the potential for that. And uh, I think I asked him which vehicle he'd uh, he'd like to have a go in if he could only uh, have a, a trip in one Jerry Anderson vehicle one Ooh, time only. Can I, can I make a guess now? Uh, you can. It's got to be Thunderbird 2 interesting you said that especially as an underwater man but let's see here's part two with kelvin murray but the the technical fascination did that continue with the sort of the the eagles and the movement through space and episodes about black holes and all that sort of stuff yeah because i mean i guess it was all i mean so much of it was was unknown and it was it was introduced me to things that i didn't really know much about but it was really interesting and fascinating so I don't ever remember, you know, thinking, how can the eagles actually fly? But I was always fascinated with the shape of the cockpit. And it was like, so are those actual windows underneath as well? And things. So again, it wasn't it wasn't um it, it it wasn't denying it and seeing it as anything. It was like, oh right, okay. So that does it does that and it does this and and it was it was much yeah, it was all very believable to me. Although I knew it was a program, it was believable fiction you know yeah. that makes sense um, no absolutely i mean a lot again a lot of people especially people who went into space sciences and that kind of stuff they all say it was the it was the believability uh and they got a lot of stuff right that that has come true to some degree uh although not all of it certainly not flares on the moon uh not yet anyway what about terror hawks kelvin what i mean you, you mentioned uh calling your grandmother zelda which i'm sure can be forgiven because everybody did that uh <laughs> but that was a, a very different show particularly if you contrast it to space 1999 <laughs> but even to any yeah. of the other shows like thunderbirds and stingray so how did that sit with you yeah well again i think i mean terror hawks was on the the cusp of me moving away from sort of like children's programs and, yeah. and so on so I, I i can remember it and i can remember zelda and her, her sort of like you know crazy hair and that kind of thing wandering around in the fog but um <laughs> but I, I don't really i think it was at, at that age where i just 
yeah, yeah, I might have watched it as a bit of entertainment, but it didn't have the same kind of yeah. thing for 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 my mind. You know, I think yeah. I was. Uh, Probably thinking of other things at that point. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that, <laughs> that does happen. But thankfully, by that point, everything was so firmly planted in your mind in terms of uh, technology and the fascination and things like Stingray and Thunderbird Four that your your path was potentially set. So, how, uh, you know, t- just talk me through a sort of brief history of kind of career wise, going from a kid who loves Stingray <laughs> to now, as I say, being being the Scottish Troy Tempest to some degree. I'm so keeping that. Please do. Yeah, um, you get on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I basically trained as a, a diver, but as a recreational diver. And as soon as I did, as soon as I took my first breath underwater, I literally I remember it in the in the pool up in Aberdeen of just being. This is it. This is me. This is absolutely what I'm about. And so I very quickly went from being recreational diver to getting myself up to instructor level and then I was like right what can I do next with it you know what can I do in being underwater and the so that went to uh, commercial diving but not commercial diving as an oil and gas but more scientific media mm-hmm. archaeological stuff stuff that was more exploratory or you know it had had a different a different meaning to it rather than just you know, being a dope on a rope for want of a better <laughs> word. And then at the same time, I was also working quite a lot in wildlife conservation and interested in in, in that and and because I was always a nature kid. And and then at some point in my career, I also worked as a, a survival and marine instructor, teaching people how to get out of uh, sinking ships and ditched helicopters and burning oil rigs and things like that. Nice. Okay. Um, and all of these things all came together when I was saying to myself, what do I, what I would really want to do in my diving? I needed a big challenge. So I applied to become diving officer with the British Antarctic Survey. And I got that position. I lived in the Antarctic for a year and a half running the UK's scientific diving program down there. And then just prior to being deployed south, I um, met a guy called uh, Tim Soper who is the son of Tony Soper, uh, the wildlife uh, broadcaster, uh, sort of a, uh, another uh, legend alongside David Attenborough. And um, he was working in expedition tourism, expedition cruises. And he said, when you come out of a uh, British Antarctic survey, why don't you come and join us? We're building a new ship and we'll need a, we'll need a polar diver. So um, a f- few weeks actually after me coming home from a year and a half in the Antarctic I was uh, training to be uh, deployed in the Arctic so learning how to <laughs> learning how to shoot in case we met any unpleasant wildlife uh, and then uh, and then I went up to um, Svalbard uh, Greenland Canadian Arctic and I started working up there as a diver diving shooting footage uh, editing it together presenting it to the guests on board so they could explore uh, underwater vicariously and I was very often I was just diving on my own with a big HD camera set and and the places that had never been dived before and really really far north very remote places and so on so that was all very exciting and then over the years doing more uh, diving and doing more uh, expedition leadership then I got into sort of the 
technical management side of things, and, and now I'm in sort of operational management and product development. But now this, with working with EOS Expeditions, I'm now working more and more with uh, submersibles, which over the years <laughs> have become a much more accessible thing. Yeah. Um, the technology's moved on and, and so on. And so it was, you can possibly guess the excitement that I had to be on the uh, DSSV pressure drop in uh, 2019 um, as we were deploying the world's first commercially certified full ocean depth submersible to go and dive the bottom of Challenger Deep uh, multiple times. And part of my job there was to assist a man called Captain Don Walsh, who was the first person or the first team to go down to the bottom of the Mariana Trench in the... Wow. Uh, uh, 60 years previously so I was uh, <laughs> uh, living I was living a, a little boy's dream you know awesome so yeah so not exactly brief and uh, not exactly a straight line but uh, that's yeah. that's pretty much how I ended up where I am now that's a pretty cool selection I mean you've you've sort of ticked the boxes of stingray uh, and of international rescue there with your uh, survival stuff is there anything uh, within that that sort of comes close to the nearest thing to an international rescue moment or the nearest thing to a stingray moment in real life? Well, so far we haven't been attacked by any mysterious underwater beings. <laughs> That's reassuring. Um, <laughs> but uh, I have been involved in a, in a number of like big, well, I mean, big from our perspective of, uh, you know, of, uh, rescues and, and situations where we're having to get people out of sticky situations and, people have been injured and uh, and that kind of thing so and i've also been involved in massive uh, logistical um, projects where so for example we took the the largest passenger vessel that's ever made a transit of the northwest passage over the top of canada with an attendant icebreaker and so i i was the expedition leader on the icebreaker and we had two helicopters 15 16 boats uh, kayaks, a dive team, ROVs, all sorts of toys to look after the, the guests on the big ship, things like that. So it was a huge sort of logistical, you know, exercise and how we make all these these different things happen. So I, but from a very small team of people, I mean, I think at the time there was only eight or nine of us in the company making this, you know, massive project hand, looking after a thousand people at a time in the in the Arctic. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess there are there are a uh, parallels to be had. How much at the time I was thinking about, you know, you know, this is what exactly what Troy Tempest would have done, or this is what Scott Tracy would have done, that that kind of thing. But it is very easy to see how a small group of people, a, a small group of the right people with the right mindset and the right technology, can do some pretty incredible uh, things. So, awesome. yeah, yeah, it's a very neat parallel. Yeah, uh, well, I'm really glad to hear it. And uh, it sounds like you you may have made or be making the move from Troy Tempest to Commander Shaw, possibly, as you go into more <laughs> kind of operational stuff. L- less gruff, less less uh, less less grumpy. Well, I, I don't know if my colleagues would agree with that. You know, they they, they might already think I'm, I'm I'm well beyond Commander Shaw. <laughs> Fair enough. If you could choose one member from Stingray 
one member of Wasp from Stingray to work on any operation with you in any role, which member of Wasp do you think you would choose? I mean, it's easy to say, oh, well, obviously you'd pick Troy Tempest because he's the the hero aquanaut and he'd get you out of scrapes and stuff. But m- maybe from your experience point of view, you'd rather have somebody somebody else. And you can say Marina if you like as well. <laughs> yeah, well, funny enough, I... Yes, it is very easy to go Troy Tempest because he is the archetypal, you know, sort of cool, calm, collected, you know, put him into any sort of situation. He's he's another uh, Captain Kirk, isn't he? Or, yeah. or, you know, someone like that. But funny enough, the other thing that struck me with that question was, was, was Marina because of the importance of working with the locals and working <laughs> with the indigenous population where you go. That's a great answer. And we, you know, the amount of work that we do up in the Canadian Arctic or in Greenland uh, and the other parts of Canada on, on the the, uh, the Pacific side and so on, where it is so important to to tap into the knowledge of the people that live there and work there and thrive there. But also they are the landowners, if you, so to speak. They're the landlords and, and you have to be respectful visitors. And so, working with the working with the locals is, is extremely important, and, and fostering good relations with them, which is exactly what you know Troy Tempest or the Scottish Troy Tempest would do with uh, Marina. Uh, you know, when I go and, when I go and start invading some uh, undersea kingdom. You know? Yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't recommend his exact method of getting in with the locals uh, <laughs> in that particular way, uh, Calvin. But yeah, no, I, I I love that answer. That that is uh, an excellent answer. There's something to me with an interest or a fascination but very little knowledge of going into space or going going you know deep into the ocean i find some something quite terrifying about that prospect because between you and either the certain death from extreme pressure or the certain death from extreme lack of pressure if you're in space all that stands between that and and, and death is technology you know, and really, relatively, it's a you know a thin on a kind of uh, you know ocean scale bit of technology between the between you and and all that stuff. Is that something that you is in the back of your mind at all times, or or are you such a bold, uh, heroic Troy that the excitement and stuff and the interest washes all that away? Because I, I I always find that that those characters who are willing to do that kind of stuff in the in the TV shows they automatically get some hero points. So is is that sort of arrogance and stupidity in those characters or is it, you know, belief and full understanding of the technology you're using? Uh, no, I don't think it's arrogance and stupidity because that generally what is what gets people killed. I think, uh, you know, the, the explorer, Roa Darmanson, put it pretty well. You know, this, you know, bear in mind, this was the guy, the you know, first person at the South Pole. He flew over the North Pole. He charted the route to the Northwest Passage. He did incredible things. And he's he's quoted as saying, you know, adventure is just bad planning. And, <laughs> and, okay. and you know, you can go out there, you can see, oh, I want to have a wonderful adventure, or I would like to have, you know, a nice well-planned expedition that I'm going to come home and tell, be able to tell everyone about, you know. Yeah. And 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 Ernest Shackleton's, uh, you know, said the same thing. You know, better to be a better to be a live donkey than a than a dead lion, and knowing when to step away. From from something and so and I've I, I've been there myself and you know, so as a diver I am essentially you know wearing my life support system yeah and 
I mean, you can drown in a bowl of soup. So, yes. you know, being in that environment, you have to have a full understanding of of your of the gear, what it does, how it works, what can go wrong, you know, how to get out of that sort of situation, but also your own limitations as a diver or as a pilot or as a you know, da, da, da. and I think it's something that you throughout any of these sort of training processes or you know you, you're you know getting more and more familiar with equipment or that kind of thing is that you you pick up motor skills things become almost second nature or, or, or automatic and that sometimes seems very alien to people when you and they say oh my I could never dive under polar ice and uh, that kind of thing or I could never you know go in a submersible down the, the blah 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 that kind of thing but you look at driving a car you know when you start driving a car you have no idea what you're doing you know but then soon you're going to be belting down the waterway at uh, you know whatever speed and you're going to be yeah. you know interpreting all this information that's flying at you and dealing with that and you're doing things automatically so I think humans have a great capacity in the right circumstances to integrate well with these kind of things. I think it's when they get a bit uh, sure of themselves, you know, and um, like you say, that sort of arrogance um, is what leads to to them getting into a pickle. And not just them in a pickle, but other people. Everybody, yeah. So, and then you have to go yeah. and rescue them. But you've never been in a situation, go, you know, down in the depths when that moment crosses your mind of a sort of a what if or a sense of, you know, the power around you, essentially. Oh, completely. I mean, and you are, well, I I am certainly aware of what's going on around me and how this could go pear-shaped. So I'm, I'm, but it's actually, it's kind of reassuring in a way that, you know, as an empowering thing for yourself or as an understanding for yourself that I have to do this right. This is this is you know, there's no other there's no other way out of it. You know, I, and I've I remember a long time ago when I started doing what I was what I'm doing. I you know I I made a promise to my mum. I said I'm always coming back. You know, I, I promise I'll come home. Yeah. So I mean, and and I have been in situations where it's like I've seen things going wrong, uh, and this is mostly about scuba diving that I'm talking about. I'm, I'm seeing. Either the, the the conditions, the visibility, the current, maybe there's been wildlife issues, that kind of thing. And it's like, I need to get myself out of here now. This is this is an incident mm. pit. Things are developing and I could end up in trouble rather than just, you know, blase. But that just comes from experience, you know. And I think I think driving a car is that is a is a really good metaphor for a lot of people to relate to. Also, it it does all sound very heroic. And cool. It's it's a great it's a great balance to have that. I have a question for you. Speaking of cool, you are allowed for one day to take out a single Anderson vehicle. You have to choose one from Stingray, a Terrafish, Thunderbird Four, or Thunderbird Three. Just to throw a wild card in there, only one. You'll never have an option to travel in any of those vehicles ever again. Which one do you choose, and why? Three. Oh, you're going to go into space. You're going to go against yeah. all of your career and training and interests. No, well, no, but I'm also interested in space. And ah, okay. For a while, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been consulting and advising on a on a project based here in the UK about building a commercial astronaut facility ah. called, called Blue Abyss, because there are many parallels between 
although it's it's uh, you know an extreme pressure versus very little pressure, yeah. there there are a lot of parallels between yeah. aquanauts and, and astronauts. Yeah, and again, it's this idea of, of people being placed in their you know placed in an extreme environment and working outside their comfort zone and using technology to survive. So, but I you know it's more for me personally, it's more realistic that I will end up in a sub in very deep ocean than it will ever be in a spacecraft. So if I had the opportunity to jump in a spacecraft, I would do it tomorrow. Okay. In the next half hour. Anything. All right. Anything can happen in the next half hour. I'll put in a call to Jeff Tracy now and see if we can get you a flight number <laughs> three, Kelvin. Uh, Kelvin, you are uh, the perfect example of how science fiction can potentially play a part in inspiring people to do really cool stuff and, and live quite a cool life. If people want to find out more about what you're doing, follow you online, that kind of thing, is there any easy way they can do that? Twitter, websites, etc. Yeah, uh, you can look up the company website, first of all, which is uh, eos.com, E-Y-O-S. eos.com is our, is our company. And, uh, it's about to go through a, a big uh, uh, revamp, so there'll be a new website coming out soon. And then there's all the social media attached to that. And then my my own um, Instagram outlet, so to speak, is uh, at zero degrees K, which, of course, my name my name being Kelvin. I'm, nice. There's always a temperature association. Zero Kelvin. So, Excellent. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, well, I highly recommend people do that. Are they going to see things from from the depths and tech and stuff or is it more you know kittens and uh, uh kids watching thunderbirds uh no it's mo- it's mostly work stuff it's not really kids awesome. watching uh, but <laughs> I, I there's definitely going to be some thunderbird stuff up there soon all right i'm glad to hear Maybe it quite right too kelvin also known as the scottish troy tempest you've been awesome <laughs> thank you so much i really enjoyed our chat and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon yeah, likewise. Thank you, Jamie. I've really, really enjoyed this, and it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And and uh, yeah, thank you, thank you for for keeping this all going. Oh, great pleasure, great pleasure. So strangely, in line hmm. possibly with uh, this week's randomizer, part two of Terror Hawks, uh, expect the unexpected. Expect yeah. the unexpected when it comes to which vehicle Kelvin would like to take a trip in. So you weren't that far yes. off, were you? No, I got close, didn't I? Pretty yeah, close. Nice but yes, work. that was quite unexpected. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Kelvin, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our chat. Really enjoyed it. And um, I think Kelvin's going to keep in touch because there's some cool stuff happening this year and next, hopefully, uh, all things COVID allowing. Uh, Great. So, yes, um, fantastic, fantastic guest. Um, lovely bit of variety there. And uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time, Kelvin. Now, next week, Richard James. Oh, yes. We are sticking with the Terror Hawks theme, whether you oh, like it or not. Because okay. next week, it's Terror Hawks composer Richard Harvey. Oh, that'll be great. Uh, what a lovely chat Richard is as well. Uh, mm. So, yes, I had a great chat with Richard, who normally, uh, at this point in the year, would be out in Thailand. That's where he, he, he winters out there. Does he? But currently, he's in the UK uh, because of the current global situation and we had a lovely couple of uh, well almost two hours i think our chat went on for so i think the fully edited version will come in at three parts uh certainly Wowzers. at least two so one thing we can say for sure is that next week will be part one of uh, my chat with richard harvey really worthwhile and if, if you're a fan of griffon griffon Gr- griffon uh the band that he was in then he may have some interesting things to say for you there <laughs> great i've not heard of them i must be frank not heard of Griffin. I uh, know quite quite niche, I think. What, what what sort of stuff are we talking? Is um, it uh, ballads, nice sort of light folk light music? rock? 
Is that a folk fair rock. term? I, is th- it I think Hawkwind. Possibly. Mm. Yeah, okay. I, I'm not really. Yeah. I'm not really an expert, and Richard will probably wow. tell me off for calling it that. But uh, yeah. Anyway, Brilliant. really lovely man and fascinating chat about his his career actually, and then getting into the world of Terrorhawks and beyond. So um, yeah. Oh, and also we get into Firestorm in later parts too, and the uh, process for oh. composing there. Nice. Uh, anyway, right. Uh, yes. what, what's next? What, what's next? Well, in the meantime, shall I go over to Twitter and see what people have been saying about oh, us? Or would please. you rather not know? No, do yeah? it. I, the, find the most offensive one and let me know. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, you're right. You're on safe, pretty safe ground. Uh, Justin Fisher, for example, has tweeted, I've recently found the Jerry Anderson podcast, now on pod 35, and each week on Mondays. Uh, should have caught up by early March, as it's all I listen to uh, while working. But he says, I'm a bit behind on newsy, news, news, news. Well, that's the thing you would be if you were still on pod 35, yeah. wouldn't you? That's a problem. But, the great thing is, though, if you're listening for the first time to all those early pods and you hear the news, well, that's probably happened, hasn't it? So you can then go and listen to whatever the news was about or buy whatever the news was about or watch whatever the news was about, couldn't you? Yeah, except in the case of limited edition stuff, which has been and gone. Well, but otherwise, yeah, yeah, it just means yeah. that you don't have to wait for anything. Yeah, it's all nice. for you. Exactly. Uh, lost in Transition. Stephen Critchlow is every one of us when it comes to fandom. He's a great example of how age should never stifle enjoyment. So this is going back to our interview with uh, Stephen on uh, a couple of pods ago. 138, yeah. 138, there you go. David Brown says, uh, This is the first one I've listened to the week it went out. Started <laughs> listening in May 2020 and I made up a lot of ground. Wow, welcome yeah, along. Very Thanks good. for listening. Yeah. What are you doing for the rest of the time, though? Because I should imagine, you know, you would listen to one every few days to try and catch up with us. But now, you've <laughs> what else are you doing week. with your life, man? <laughs> that's <laughs> that right. what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's all for now. But don't forget, you can hashtag us Jerry Anderson Podcast, tag me, Richard N. James, uh, him, uh, I'm Jamie Anderson. And him over there, well, he's wearing some sort of big fur coat now. The hat's come off, I think. Yeah, nice sort of shapeless animal fur that came from. Coat. Yeah. Uh, Chris mm. Dalek, who'll be here in just a moment. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like right now, really. Cause, um, yeah, why not? For this week's randomizer, it, it was chosen last week because it's a two parter. Yeah. Last week, Chris did Terror Hawks, Expect the Unexpected Part One. So that means that now, automatically, he's going to do Terror Hawks. Expect the Unexpected Part 2. Well, you'd think so. Most peculiar. All right, Chris, uh, hang your coat up there and um, over to you. Last time on The Randomizer. An alien force has seized Mars. Their intention? To capture and plunder Earth. An elite defense unit, the Terrorhawks, with a secret base in a remote area of South America and equipped with the most sophisticated fighting machines yet devised by man, is ready to engage the new Martians. Their first attack has already been repelled, but using her mysterious powers, alien android Zelda has taken Terrahawk commander Dr. Neinstein hostage, and he is now aboard her spaceship. He orders his Terrahawk gunship to open fire and destroy the alien craft, even though he is aboard. Terrahawk's Lieutenant Hero is confronted with an impossible decision. What would you do, 101? It's not for us to make decisions. You're right, of course. I must make the decision. 101? Open fire! And now the conclusion. And I do like that the recap just ends with the ship blowing up. I don't like this. Tiger! 
Thank God you're all right. Oh, thank God. It's the G word. Don't often hear that in a puppet show. You mean, what am I doing here on Earth? Well, I had this theory, and it's relatively complicated. But I figured that if their ship was destroyed, their power to hold me would also be destroyed. And you were right. Uh, you just pulled that out of your backside, didn't you, Doctor? We are rejoining back... Who would really think that was... Back on board. Yes, sir. Even on the table. Just give me a few minutes. Even with a very complicated theory. Oh, and here we go. Yes, last week we lost Zeroid number 13. We are now holding a funeral for him, and it's one of the saddest things, I think, in any Anderson production. These robots, these little chunks of metal and plastic, honouring one of their fallen comrades. It's such a perfect image. Again, it's, it so establishes the Zeroids as characters. I don't understand. I mean, when we get back, they'll make another number 13, won't they? You know your trouble, 35. You've got no art. And I do look at Zeroid 35 there, and I do feel just a bit guilty that uh, in the Big Finish audio stories, I actually killed that character to, uh, to be replaced with the female Zeroid 35. But uh, as yeah, we heard from that dialogue there, I don't think he would care that he got killed. They would just build another one, wouldn't they? It also establishes Zero as uh, as someone slightly apart from his men in terms of his emotions and his feelings and his responses to things. He's not reacting in a robotish way. Yes, Sergeant Major. I wanted to see you. And we just had a glimpse of a, a different Einstein puppet there. We're now back to the hideous one that we were stuck with for last week. You are a machine. So I gather some parts of this episode were reshot at some point. You are Zero. You are absolute Zero. Zilch. In future, if I say jump, you jump. Well, don't just sit there. Say something. Yes, Doctor. Again, we have this uh, awful... Um, the, the characters being so deadly serious in the um, the early episodes. I think particularly the having the uh, narrator on the, the recap there. I know we need a recap. We need someone to explain what's going on. But uh, I think the, re the, the narrator is just... Party? Yes. ...is just slightly too silly. If it had been one of the regular characters, maybe Zelda herself, that would have been fine. But uh, yeah, the narrator is, is a certain level of cheese that... Um, you know, that coupled with the, the seriousness of uh, what's going on, or supposedly going on, it just... Uh... Okay, folks, let's raise our glasses. But here we are at the opposite end of the spectrum. We're having a party. Encounter with the new Martians. New Martians again. One. C-I-G. Champagne is go. Oh, dear. Actually, sir, his champagne is gone. <laughs> and my head is spinning. Dr. Neinstein. Yes, Hero? Zelda, she's on her way back. But we're having a party. With booze and everything. In this universe of ours is impossible. You should have known that, Doctor. When I lost my power to control matter, you were automatically returned to Earth. And I to Mars. There was a brief insert shot of Mary Falconer there looking absolutely stoned. Your hostility. I return to Earth in peace. Why would blowing up her ship return Zelda to Mars? I mean, maybe she's 
I guess that Stations. sometimes comes under the uh, Zelda reclaims her own thing, but I don't. I don't see any way that blowing up her ship with a tiger on it would return Tiger to Earth. Oh, she's hostile. If she gets any closer, just let her have it. Also, seeing the puppets in their party gear here just emphasizes how massive their heads are and how small their arms are. When Tiger's got his hand up to his ear there, it looks um, a bit silly. Doctor, Zelda's ship is standing off, just out of range of our guns. All right, hero. We're on a 1040 down here. I'm going to the Terra Hawk. Keep your eyes peeled and expect the unexpected. 1010. And, um, of course, this wasn't the, the first two-parter that we had in the Anderson world, but um, it's one of the first. It's also one of the first where the second episode of the series follows directly on from the first. That I may with your commander. We had that with uh, Stingray, of course, and Captain Scarlet. It's revealed to no one. But they weren't like part two of the previous episode. This one is marked as part two, but again, it doesn't feel like a continuation so much as just here's another unrelated adventure. Here's a bit more stuff. I believe you are friendly, but then you attacked us. I didn't attack. But this is nice. Defended myself. One of your robots attacked me. Zelda sowing the seeds of doubt. That number 13 did not fire first. I have never, never, never disobeyed an order a jump cut to what looks like an unrelated shot of zero for the second half of that scene there tiger's crazy i know wants to give that cat the benefit of the doubt yeah some of my best friends are androids hawkwing you have it <laughs> that's a fairly um i don't know specious thing to say there hawkeye considering that you do actually work with a whole army of robots who are all absolutely lovable and perfect what you're saying, Sergeant Major Zero is not, uh, you, don't, you don't have much time for him? Katie, Hawkeye, you know the drill. Circle the landing area. If Zelda makes one hostile move, blast her. Ten, ten. Ten. Oh yeah, because it worked so well last time. I'm same place, huh? Don't you think she's deceiving you? Well, someone is deceiving me. Oh, don't distrust Zero. It's interesting looking at um, the first episode, knowing what the show eventually became, the running themes and threads that would that would be weaved through the series, what they choose to introduce here. And I think it's a good idea to introduce the Tiger Zero friction here. But, um... Oh, Katie, but I certainly know what I've got for her if there's any kind of trouble. Ooh. Yeah, certain ideas are introduced that just uh, don't go anywhere. It's also interesting... What do you think Zelda really has in store for us? Well, as I always say... Expect the unexpected. Even Zero's fed up with him. It's interesting what the show chooses to introduce. What's in store for our little Earthlings, don't we? We've had Zelda in the first half, and although we saw a cube near the end of part one, we now have a whole army of them to throw at the Terror Hawks. And although the cubes are rather iconic, um, probably mostly due to the end titles, it's like introducing those as Zelda's first thing that she's going to throw against them. I mean, what about the Zeefs? The Zeefs, I would say, are far more important to the, the show overall than the cubes, and yet it's the cubes that get thrown out uh, 
thrown out first. We're now introducing Battle Tank as well, which looks very nice. Battle Tank always looks perfect. You do wonder, why weren't you using this in part one? Zero. Aside from holding some stuff back for part two. Hawk. Okay. Hawkwing, what is Zelda's 1020? Well, she's about 30 miles south. She'll be landing in a few minutes. 1010. We're going to a full 1040, Tiger. Shotgun. Do you feel like a piggyback? Stand by to receive borders. Oh, they're going to do it again this week. Okay. So that's two episodes they used it in, but I don't remember it being used much more after this. They must have been really proud of this idea if we've, Queen at we've had it in both parts of the two-parter. Yeah, she comes. Oh, Mary is looking almost as bad as Tiger by this point. She looks very stiff and lifeless. That's a lovely shot, actually, of uh, Zelda's central hub ship landing. And nice uh, look up the uh, the underside of it. But I have won your confidence. You have not won our confidence yet. But for the moment, we are prepared to give you the benefit of the doubt. Very wise. I do actually like this idea of, um, yeah, giving her the benefit of the doubt. Possibly there's a piece to be brokered here. No matter. I will now perform a small miracle for you. Ooh. Look to the west, Doctor. The land is bright. Katie, Hawkeye, stand by. Ten, ten. What did you say? Right, the deal's off. I'm nuking you all. Yeah, not the best thing to say on an open channel, Mary. What are we building to here? What you doing? Don't trust her, sir. The spaceship is glowing. And... <laughs> well, this sounds harmless and innocent. Tiger! Hawkwing, ram that ship. And a different shot of a different tiger puppet used there in that shot. This is the one that would uh, later become the most commonly seen. So I don't know if this is a reshoot or if they had multiple tiger puppets available when they made this episode. And for some reason they chose to use the uglier one of the two. Ah, Zelda's built them a road. How, uh... Hawkwing... How thoughtful. Ten. It is a miracle. Well, yeah, but, you know, on a sliding scale of miracles, it's not that impressive. Just imagine what other benefits I could bring to your planet. Like railways and airports. I take it I have safe conduct. Yes. Yes, Elder, you have my word. Um... You've given us a road, and we're grateful. You can go now. It's been a misunderstanding. Are you sure, Tiger? Zelda, you are clear to leave. Thank you, Commander. Hero, did you get that? Yes, I got that, Doctor. We will keep well out of range. Ten, ten. And I, th I think the hero puppet looks quite nice as well, actually, although there's a slightly feminine touch to him that uh, I think it might actually be the hair. He, he looks like he's got 80s woman's hair. Mandalay. Road to Mandalay? Um, it's an old song. Song by grandfather? I didn't... Uh. Grandfather, I had a test tube. I'm a clone, remember? Tiger, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean... Mary, 
Why don't we take my old hand getting whiplashed the new highway? This conversation makes no sense. You zero. My roller. My Rolls Royce. Get it? Uh, this is an odd moment where it feels like Tiger and Mary haven't actually known each other that long. Considering that Tiger has a Rolls Royce secreted in the front of Battlehawk and uh You didn't tell me. You didn't tell her. Well I don't tell you everything. I wouldn't tell you about the talking car that will later go on to prove absolutely invaluable through the rest of the series. Why would I tell you about that? Totally restored. Ah, a few alterations, a new power plant, new interior, and all the latest technology. It can think and speak for itself. Like Zero? Not like Zero. This machine has breeding. I do like this idea as well. That rather coarse whistle indicated that my services were required. Tiger isn't against the idea of technology or even sentient technology. He just doesn't like Zero. Certainly. Your voice print has been checked and the doors are now unlocked. Welcome aboard, sir. Yep, so we're now introducing Hudson as uh, another feature of the series. Holding him back for part two. Again, I think one of the more successful elements of the series, Hudson. Heuristic universal driver with sensory and orbital navigation. Oh, thank you. Hudson for sure. Electronics by hero? Exactly. What's happened to your neck, Mary? It seems to have been swallowed up by your uniform. There has to be an obstruction ahead, sir. What I, I find slightly... Um, what are they? I don't... Odd about this scene, but rather charming overall throughout the whole series, is... Uh, Hudson doesn't appear to have any weapons. Let's get out of here. Yeah, Fab One. I'm taking over. As you wish. Sir. Is loaded with um, you know, machine guns and flamethrowers and rocket launchers and... Uh, all sorts of terrible things. Hudson doesn't appear to have any of that stuff. He just sort of gets by on, on class and cool. What's happening? Force field. Also an idea that didn't last much beyond the early episodes. Um, Tiger actually driving Hudson. That was obvious. We're trapped. That's also obvious. Try the phaser, Hudson. Although oh. theory is... He does have a weapon. And it doesn't work. Could be why we never saw it again. The force field is impenetrable. I'm afraid so. Yeah, the... Give me a satellite link. Army of cubes have surrounded Hudson. Set up a force field. Box. This is a 1090. We are trapped in what I believe to be an impenetrable force field. Stand by for instructions. In the meantime, make no attempt to rescue us. I promise you, Doctor, that I will not attempt to rescue you. <laughs> Oh, she's wonderful. Your tomb, and be sure of it. You will both die. Again, I don't remember the cubes um, we making force fields between themselves after this episode. Maybe it did happen, but uh, I've been talking to Hawkeye. It's not a feature that they made much use of. Through the top of the force field. Ah. Uh. Your fate is here. I hate to say it. Then I will. Zero was right. It's ironic, isn't it? He's the only one who can save us. By increasing his mass? Yeah. He can make himself as heavy as a black hole. If he hit one of these posts, he could break the field. 
But we can't call him. An increasing mass was something that, again, I don't think would actually work in real life, but it's something in this show that, um... Well, I told him that if... It's so off the wall as an idea that it kind of works. Have him taken apart. Oh, charming. Thank you, Tiger. I could save Mary and the Doctor, but I will not disobey an order. Oh. Not disobey an order. Go on. I definitely will not disobey an order. The heck I won't. Hey. That's it. Zero off to the rescue. I don't know where the rest of the Zeroids are at times like this. It seems like they might be useful, but... Uh... Okay. Do you see what I see? I sure do. He's increasing his mass. I just hope he's a good pitcher. He could smash that car to pieces. More lovely music here. Zero. Keep rolling, baby. One hit completely breaks the force field, shatters all the cubes. Fantastic, Sergeant Major. Just fantastic. It was nothing, Mom. <laughs> nothing. You're right. Tiger. Joke, joke. It was just my little joke. Extremely little, Ensign. Oh. Um. We're on our way home now, I guess. So that, uh, that army of 20 cubes. I think Hudson is absolutely magnificent. You just left them to roam free, do you? Hudson, I do believe you're blushing. No, madam. It's my natural colour. I guess because we need time to introduce this. Chameleon. I wonder what they actually did with this road that Zelda created afterwards. I would have thought they'd have to, have to forbid anyone to use the cursed road. White and blue. Truly British, Hudson. Truly British. Meanwhile, the cubes that the Terrorhawks have let go are destroying a small town somewhere. All right, Zero. Up on your perch. Different tiger puppet again. Today, And he's back to his ugly self. Once again, you started to think for yourself. Well, yes, sir, but... When are you going to realize that you were made and programmed by a superior being? With due respect, sir, won't you? Oh, and that's a cool line. Sergeant Major. But it does make Tiger look very unlikable. And the fact that his teeth are all but falling out of his mouth in this horrible puppet. I hate this early Tiger puppet. Ugh. Doesn't help either. Thanks, Zero. I'm off to the dentist. Thanks, Zero. Yay. <laughs> Wonders never cease. Happy Zero. Believe it. I can't believe it. I'm over the moon. I'm right over the moon. Oh, I love you, Windsor Davies. I miss you. And now we're introducing Zelda's cryogenic store. Again, without much explanation. Friends, my first encounters with the Terrorhawks have failed. But now I am going to give you your chance. Saram. Oh, here he comes. Of planet felony. I am going to bring you out of suspension. And this is a very freaky shot to end the uh, the episode on. The reveal of SRAM. Although it's interesting if you look at 
the order in which things are introduced in this show. <laughs> Among the Martian characters, we have Zelda and then Sram before either Youngstar or Sistar. And I don't know why. Oh, that is a very freaky shot of Sram. Yeah, I don't know why why we weren't introduced to Youngstar or Sistar. You would think as uh, fairly prominent characters, they would want them to be showcased here, but apparently not. Anyway, that was Expect the Unexpected Part 2, which, um, well, was more of the same, really. Again, not the show's finest hour by any means. Um, focused a bit more on the Tiger and Zero relationship, which is rather nice. But uh, I just... I can see why people had trouble with the show when it first started. The puppets are... I'm sure the puppeteers are doing the best that they could, but the puppets are just a bit too ugly to really generate much sympathy. We, uh, our sympathies are much more with the Zeroids and, ironically, with uh, with Zelda herself. I, uh, I kind of like the idea that she just came to Earth gave them a free road and then cleared off that was her evil plan for the week um hopefully next time we see her she'll have a slightly better plan up her sleeve i love a bit of terror hawks although i uh, didn't really find its feet mm. there did it not in not in part one and two it was kind okay. of a bit straight laced a bit serious didn't quite find it sort of panto comic quality so uh -huh. but it, it got there in the end right it got there in the end. Yeah, it was was just... it always heading there? Was that always no, the intention? I don't think so. did they... No, I think they, right. they, think they, they, they wrote up the comedy fairly early on because it just wasn't quite working tone-wise. I see. Yeah. But it's a shame, isn't it? Especially these days because, you know, all, all streaming telly particularly has got a kind of three-episode hook uh, window. You know, most streaming things, you'll watch the first one yes, and think, oh, I'll give the second yes. one a go. And then it's like, That's oh, right. all right, I'll try the third one. And by the third one, really, it's got to have grabbed you yeah, uh, yeah. for you to carry on. And so everyone's got into True. that mentality. But with Terrorhawks, it really doesn't, I don't think, grab you in the first three or four or even five. You've got to get to episode six before it kind yes. of finds its feet. So yes. it's an interesting, interesting one. But it, despite that, it, like we said, it did well on Amazon Prime. So Yeah, yeah, all good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Chris, thank you it's... for giving us our intro to Terrorhawks there. Um, yes, thank you, Chris. Next week, we'll be back to a random one. Oh, yeah, look, he's just getting into that. What is that? It's a blue police box thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's gone. That's strange. <gasps> Very strange. Now, Hi, Chris. Um, Jamie, tell us uh, everything you know about the Jerry Anderson YouTube channel. Not a lot, actually. It seems uh, youtube.com slash Jerry Anderson TV. <laughs> it's, uh, it's full of things, including uh, title sequences and primers and fab facts and uh, motion comics and uh, trailers and uh, making ofs and uh, there's hundreds of videos there and I think we've had approximately 6,500,000 views across the channel something like that how's wow. that how's that that is fantastic well I headed over there just this week to try and pick up a few comments on some previous podcasts oh, and no. some of them were quite nice so I thought oh, I'd really? leave them out yeah uh, well there's a couple here Keith Gooch said another great episode of the Jerry Anderson podcast with all the usual banter between Richard and Jamie have to agree that uh, Jamie we should have no more Jerry Anderson limericks as they were not great so. <laughs> hey i should mention by the way the rather marvelous david tremont yeah. from weta sent me a couple of uh, of limericks but unfortunately uh, they were uh, um, not fit for broadcast as it turns out <laughs> were they even anything to do with jerry anderson or the podcast oh yeah yeah no. yeah. there was a there was a torchy oh, okay. one oh, right. and uh, they, were, they were both jerry anderson but but no neither were were suitable for broadcast uh, <gasps> no. not on a family friendly show anyway 
Thank yes, you, David. Uh, Keith continued, uh, enjoyed the uh, Stephen Critchlow interview as I've enjoyed his work with Big Finish uh, and I enjoyed Chris Dale's randomizer review of the new Captain Scarlet episode Heist. Keep up the good work. Oh. Uh, Ian Dealey in a similar vein said, great to hear Stephen Critchlow in this week's podcast. I liked his role in the Furniture Land adverts and <laughs> nice to have new Captain Scarlet back on the randomizer too. So there we go. So Stephen went down uh, great guns, didn't he? he? Did. Uh, we'd yeah, love well to done. know uh, what you thought of uh, uh, Kelvin Murray over the last couple of weeks. So do yes. leave your comments and your thoughts and uh, I'll read some of those out next time. Time too. Oh, great. I look yeah. forward to that. Well, is that it for this episode uh, of the Jerry Anson podcast? I mean, you say, is that it? Like, that's not <laughs> enough. No, all right, fine. That was right. that was plenty. Please stop, Richard. We've got to let these people get on with their lives. Yeah, yeah. Sorry for yeah. holding you up, Postron, but if you want to write into us, please do podcast at jerryanderson.co.uk uh, or you can tweet us, me, at I'm Jamie Anderson, him at Richard N. James, or uh, the yeah. guy that's just disappeared in the blue police box at yeah. Chris Dalek. And or use the hashtag Jerry Anderson Podcast and uh, we'll yeah. try to read your messages out and answer your questions in due course. I mean, you keep sending them in, which is brilliant. And uh, without yeah. you, the podcast will be half the length it is and uh, only a quarter as interesting. So thank you. It's true. It'd be like we would just be talking in a big echoey room, wouldn't it? Just having a chat to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God it's not that. (laughs) Anyway, uh, that's the end of uh, Jerry Anderson Podcast Pod 140. Thank you for listening. We'll be in your ears next week in Pod 141. Bye. Goodbye. Let's go. Spectrum is green. Uh, Richard, yes. Are you a fan of bubble wrap? I uh, do. You know, uh, I find it a bit. Uh, it's the whole sort of fingernails down the. No, I mean, oh, don't. No, no. Do you not find it I'm a bit not... de-stressing? Oh God, no. But there are whole YouTube videos, aren't there, where of people popping this stuff. What? What is that? There's a. There's a. There's a name for it, uh, and people whispering into microphones. Oh, ASMR. Right. Yes. Yes, bit, um, but I don't find it pleasant at all. I, I was going to whisper so, at you then. Thank but, you for that. You know, no, it, don't. No. Would you like some Jerry Anderson ASMR, Richard? <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> don't. Okay, well, I will just uh, uh, give you this parting uh, gift uh, of uh, rather than individually popping the bubble wrap, just taking yeah. a whole lump and giving it a good old twist. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production.